This is Zach Ayers, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 125 for December 21st, 2021. This will be our last episode of the year. I hope you've enjoyed all of the episodes this year. And today, I have the pleasure of being with Zach Ayers. How are you doing, Zach? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, um, of course, you are an instructor at not just Script Anatomy, but many other places, and, and we'll talk about that in the interview. You, you, in particular, teach a pilot boot camp, and we'll get to that in the latter part of the interview. But, interview. but first, I want to find out more about um, your background. Uh, you started out in Alaska, which we don't often hear writers of television starting in Alaska. Um, how did that transition to here? Yeah, uh, Anchorage, Alaska, born and raised. Um, you know, grew up fishing, hiking, camping, doing all these things that uh, now and later years I kind of hate. <laughs> um, when I was a teenager, we moved to Seattle, um, which is really my kind of my my world, um, and that's where I learned uh, how to be a city kid and kind of flourished from there. I guess my um, my first uh, inkling that I wanted to be a storyteller was just kind of having access to cameras and uh, as in high school telling you know sketch comedy uh, to my high school classmates um, and then just kind of embracing the idea that oh I could make people laugh through little sketches you know kids in the hall SNL um, Mr. Bean uh, I used to and it kind of became my my thing Zach's the kid who who makes short videos. Uh, I used to wear RCA cables around my head in high school, like Rambo, uh, real cool stuff. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I, my parents are, are, you know, from Alaska, working class. Film school was such a strange, foreign thing to them. So it's kind of a miracle that they allowed me to go. Um, I guess maybe seeing that that was just my, my instinct was to do something like that. And so I was fortunate enough to, to be allowed to go and do my passion. Um, had no mentors, had no idea what it meant, what film school really meant. All I knew is that um, there were some schools that taught it. And the one that I kind of glommed onto was called Ithaca College in upstate New York. A state I'd never been to, I'd never been east of the Mississippi, you know. Uh, and um, so I went there, studied TV, television production, kind of learned how to button push professionally. Um, and then my next big breakthrough was uh, I spent a semester abroad in Los Angeles, which is what they call it, uh, at Ithaca. And that's when I got an internship at a show called Malcolm in the Middle. Um, second season, Malcolm in the Middle, which, you know, in retrospect was just a, a beautiful, time to be on that show um, had just won I think there were a lot there were a lot of Emmy winning writers on there and and future Emmy winners on that show and this was before a time when the writers room was you know examined and celebrated certainly before your podcast and so I didn't quite know what it was um, but I found out real quick by sitting you know at the desk outside the writers room with the writers room door slightly open uh, I'm making coffee and filling lunch orders while I'm hearing, you know, these brilliant people tell stories in a, uh, you know, from their childhood in a some kind of cathartic way to, you know, express their 
their you know youthful conflicts through these characters and they all had similar um interests and in, in you know earnest character development and and telling stories through action and it was just it was wonderful it was like it was i was like spying on on you know on on a mount olympus mm. and um so when i got back to school to finish my senior year that's where i focused on i just wanted to be you know tv writer not just producer or director you know i think i i came into film school around like the wes anderson tarantino time so everybody that's that was what i thought i'd have to do but then when i saw that there was you know this subset of storytellers who tell stories um collaboratively and uh uh they tend to be a little more extroverted storytellers that they don't just want to bury themselves in a in a you know in the in the script um that was my jam and so i did everything i could to kind of refocus my life towards that and so after after college i got into a fellowship uh, called the international radio and television society fellowship summer fellowship um which is this uh, another, you know, there's several miracles that happened in my life, and that was one of them. Just no, not only knowing that it was around, but getting into this program. And what this program does is it takes recent graduates from around the world, communications studies graduates, you know, not just production TV film, but also sales and marketing and PR and all that. And they, f they fly you to New York City, they house you in the West Village, they give you this very healthy meal stipend, and then they set you up with networking events, I mean, so many that I, I lost count, um, and then they set you up with basically the internship of your dreams. And so, you know, I'm going to New York, and what I quickly realize is that the people, the other people in this program, of the people in the program, this is not like LA. This is New York and there's 35 of us and I'm the only one who's interested in the creative side of things. Everyone else is kind of into business, ad, ad sales, marketing, um, the, the pragmatic stuff. And I, they wanted to put me in something like that, CBS News or something. They said, I'm gonna shoot my shot. Can I work for The Daily Show? And they said, sure. Wow. <laughs> so, so um, I started working at The Daily Show as an intern and slash PA. Sometimes they'd pay me, sometimes they wouldn't, but it didn't matter because I was there. I was in, you know, once again, right outside the room where everything happened. And, you know, this was, this was right when Colbert and Carell uh, were leaving, but when like, you know, Rob Corddry, Ed Helms, and uh, the second generation Jon Stewart. But it was still a time when, um, when uh, uh, they didn't quite know what they had. They were still, post Kilborn, trying to figure out what it was. Uh, you know, George W. Bush hadn't become part of their, you know, daily uh, joke regimen yet. Um, and so I was really seeing this group of creative masters come together and find out what they were. And again, I'm from, I'm on the sidelines, but I'm witnessing the whole thing, you know, and I get to sit right off stage and watch what they're, you know they're writing daily up on screen and hearing the jokes from the from the audience and it was just it was completely um it justified this crazy life that i was trying to live and i wanted to stay in it forever but um when i was in college i met a girl and uh we had graduated together and our life plan was you know i knew i was going to new york um 
and she was going to law school. She applied to a bunch of law schools, uh, all the new law schools in New York, safeties in Los Angeles, just in case nothing happened. But one of them would hit. Well, none of them hit. She didn't get in anywhere. Um, and uh, she got into one place because, partially because her mother worked there, a law school in DC called Catholic University. And she's not even Catholic. It's this weird, this weird thing that, that um, just unforeseen circumstances. And so I was left with this crazy choice of, I love this girl. I also love Jon Stewart, but I can't have both because I knew I wasn't gonna be able to live in New York and do this while she's in DC. And so I dumped Jon Stewart. I leave the show, you know, right as it's cresting, you know, right, right as the show's about to go somewhere. And I take my train and my like $400 I had in my pocket to DC to try to look for work so I could be with my wife, my, not my wife, my girlfriend at the time. We are, and I'll fast forward now and say that we are married. We have two kids. She's home. She's really excited that this podcast is coming out. Um, so it all worked out. But at the time it was, oh my God, it was, um, it was really tough because I'm, you know, not only did I give up a job that I really admired, um, but I was also in a city that doesn't have much use for a kid who can write dialogue, you know? Um, and so I am sitting in my future in-laws house, living with them, by the way, while my future wife is living on campus 60 miles away. So I only even see her on weekends. I'm, so I'm getting up every morning, getting on my father-in-law's gateway desktop and going on like monster and asking like, okay, who, who will give me a job in this town? Um, and my skills, you know, I, like I said, I was in, I studied production, TV production, even though I kind of twisted it into writing, but I still had those, I could still push buttons for a living. And so I looked for button pushing jobs and there was applied. Oh my God. I have a folder of all the places I applied to, but one place, one place responded. And it was a job writing, directing, and producing training films for the Central Intelligence Agency. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, you know, <laughs> I didn't go hunting for a job at the CIA, but I just kind of fell into it. And it was a great job. It was, I, you know, I, it took me, once I was hired, it was, a, it, was a, it was contingent on me getting a top secret clearance. Mm -hmm. So I got polygraphed, I got, psych evaled, I got a background check, you know, they, they interviewed my ex-girlfriends and like childhood neighbors and, wow. you know, got, got the whole thing. Nine months later, I finally got, I got to step in and do this work. And the work was, was, I think it, looking back on it, fascinating. But at the time, um, I was, I had access to so much equipment. This was, this was Iraq war era, you know, defense contracts, money everywhere. You could do whatever you want. You know, I got like Steadicam certified. I had my own Avid suite. It was, it was really, it was a wild time. Yeah. And we were, and we were doing films that had, um, you know, a direct impact on the world, positive and negatively. Okay. Uh, but still, you know, you were, you were doing things soup to nuts, taking, taking a lesson from a subject matter expert at the CIA finding a way to make that not just um, uh, 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 clear to the student, but also entertaining. That was kind of why they brought myself and a couple of other people on to bring the Hollywood whatever mm -hmm. razzle-dazzle into these training films. And so that was kind of cool, but I couldn't help but resent 
the job at times because while I'm doing this, I'm like helping the Western world protect democracy. My friends are in Los Angeles and New York, you know, getting coffee for Ving Rhames and Vince Vaughn. Um, and I was so jealous of it, you know, but, um, but I was here, I was, I was in DC. My, my got married to this girlfriend. Uh, she's going to law school, and, but then when she graduated, I, uh, she was working at a law firm, and we just kind of slid into this life in Northern Virginia. I work for the government, she works for a law firm, and I look in my closet one morning, and it's just blue shirts and khakis and loafers. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Six weeks later, uh, we, we were in a car to Los Angeles. I quit the job, which is not an easy thing to do for the CIA. They really expect you to be there for a long time, and when, you're, when you say you're leaving, there's a lot of questionnaires you have to fill out. But anyway, gone. Going back to that life that I wanted to do in the first place, right? You know, the writer's room. And so when I got here, it was still a time when there were, there were still, your podcast still hadn't existed, and so I was, I was a little naive or clueless about how to do it. Um, I didn't have any contacts from, from Malcolm in the Middle anymore. I mean, I, I let them lapse. Um, and I just set about writing my specs. Uh, at the time, it was two specs and a pilot. Maybe I wrote three specs. Um, but I said, okay, I'll write these things, and then I will just like put them on people's tables, and then they will hire me because they will acknowledge that I'm you know, a creative juggernaut. And uh, that didn't happen. So, um, you know, I'm getting frustrated with the town. The town is, I don't, it was kind of a, you know, dreams getting diminished and realizing you're in your quarter life crisis and you're not quite the person you thought you were gonna be. And that's when I had another miracle happen, but it was born out of desperation, uh, which is I started cold calling people. I started cold calling anybody that was even, you know, tangentially affiliated with TV writing or anything because right? I have these specs like someone please read these things and um, that next miracle was uh, one of an alumnus of Ithaca College is a writer producer and just all-around fantastic man Mike Royce who now is I think one of the more famous showrunners but at the time he had just got off of uh, Edward Loves Raymond and I think he had a deal at Paramount or something with Ray Romano and they were just about to make um, Men of a Certain Age, this kind of wow. one hour turn, dramatic turn um, uh, for Ray. And he asked me to come on as his writer's PA and sometimes writer's assistant. Uh, it was a kind of a nebulous job, but it was wonderful because I got to be in the room. I got to be in that room. You know, I was not, no longer getting coffee. I was also, actually, I was getting coffee and I was in the room. So I got, you know, I, I was a man of many parts. Um, but, that experience um, has always stuck with me. You know, to today, that room was um, the most considerate and earnest group of people I've ever, I've ever seen tell story. I've always been reaching for that ever since. Um, and so while I was there, I learned a lot. Uh, not just how to be an assistant and how to make sure you write down the lunch orders. Um, otherwise, you forget to pick up Ray Romano's pizza. Um, I learned how to not do that again. But I also learned stuff about story. And in the process, in during my year at, at Men of a Certain Age, I wrote another pilot. And that's when I got into the ABC Disney writing program. 
the fellowship, which was another like, oh my God, that's, I can't believe that happened. Um, and uh, it was everything that people think it, it, it is, just a, an enormous launching pad for a writer's career. Um, you know, got me staffed, got me repped, uh, got me contacts. And uh, I had gotten in as a comedy writer. Uh, I wrote a 30 Rock, I think. Um, and because my pursuit was still Malcolm in the Middle, you know. Um, and while I was there, I saw a lot of people funnier than me. And I saw a lot of people quicker in the room than I was. And that, that difference between me and them meant that I wasn't getting the jobs I thought I should get. Instead, I, was, I got a job that was available, let's say. And that was on a Disney Channel show called Ant Farm, which is a great, successful show. Also a kid's show on Disney Channel Multicam. I was in the room. I was at the table now telling jokes, but it, it was like being 10 feet from the finish line and not crossing. And after I finished there, uh, which again, I learned a lot, but what I learned is that what, well, what I learned, the lesson I learned was, t was given to me by my agent at the time, which was that when I left that show, you know, I said, you know, I had an agent, I have credit, I have, I have, uh, I have material. I said, let's get me on something else, something more Malcolm in the Middle. And he said, you're branded as a Disney Channel show writer. That, that is your brand. Because um, I'm basically just, uh, otherwise I'm a white kid from the suburbs. Um, that's how he can sell me. And so that, that was just shocking to me. I, I, I didn't know how to do that because I couldn't go back to that, that lifestyle. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't my forte. And so I had a, a crisis where I thought, I, I understood this is, this is the reality of, of the industry, but it's not what I wanna do. And so I thought about quitting. And then I realized because I, I didn't brand myself, somebody else branded me, well, let's brand myself. And that, that little backstory or that, that little interlude in my life where I worked for the CIA, I had been treating like, I was putting it under the rug. Like, cause it didn't fit into the comedy writing <laughs> narrative. Well, shit, I'm like a guy from the CIA who now writes television. There can't be that many of us. So I wrote a drama pilot, a drama, a dramatic CIA centric pilot. And then all of a sudden everything took off. You know, just now, you know, I got new reps. Um, I got my material out there. I kind of, I swept the comedy stuff under the rug and started becoming a dramatic writer. And then, getting meetings, getting staffed. Um, and now, you know, I'll skip through all the, the staffing, everything I've, I've worked on, but now I've kind of uh, become, somebody's, I've sold both, I'm fortunate enough to sell both comedy and drama, cable and network. I have, I don't have to sweep anything under the rug now. Um, and part of that is marketing, part of that is just gumption, I guess. Uh, a lot of that is luck and probably other miracles. Um, but I, yeah, once I embraced the, that weird part of me and, and pivoted, like I never looked back and I've, now I'm here. And I'm pretty happy with what, where I am. Very, very cool. Yeah, well, and I, and I think it's important to establish that um, you can't necessarily do that at all stages of your 
career. I, I mean, I think to be fair, um, that lane thing is very important for somebody who's just starting out. Um, but going, if you had gone backwards, what do you think you would have done differently in terms of um, finding that lane yourself or selling yourself in a certain way? Um, I think I would have, I mean, there's the easy answer of embracing the CIA early. I think maybe a better answer is I would have embraced the idea that I could write stuff that I enjoyed and not necessarily stuff that I believed people wanted to see. Mm. I think that that was maybe part of my growing pains. And, and you know, uh, uh, it took me longer than it probably should have to realize that, that I was writing things that represented stuff that was on air rather than spoke to my voice. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's a hard and fast lesson because I think I think it is important to always think of the commerce part of your art. Mm. Like, how is this going to make a studio money? You know, that this TV is an industry, it's a business, um, and you're not gonna go very far if you just think that this is about you making your indie film. Indie film is for that, TV writing is a little more um, about dollars and cents. Um, so I think that I spent some time working on stuff that didn't make sense for my portfolio. And in that, in that critical moment where I was faced with, should I quit the industry or rebrand myself? I wrote the script. I wrote the desperate script. I wrote the go fuck yourself town. If you don't like this, then kiss my ass goodbye. Mm -hmm. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and that ended up being the script that, really, you know, launched a new chapter in my career. So I think that there was, that script was always, I guess, in me, but I didn't feel like I needed to go there. And in fact, I did. Um, and I see that again, I see that all the time with my students, you know, script anatomy, that uh, it is often the writers who come to me who are, who are in, at that attitude of like, I, I hate this, this doesn't work, I'm gonna give it all up. And then we just give it one more try and it's that script. It's that script where they've just pulled out all the stops and they're just, you know, I don't care if this is, uh, I don't care if this is too violent or too esoteric or the, you know, you couldn't, at the time it was like, you couldn't cast it, right? There was, you know, every, every lead back then was white. How would you, you know, but, but people who wrote scripts that they wanted to see in the world um, and, writing them because they were foregoing this like courtesy of trying to write stuff that the you know people in suits want to see um that's when that's when they find success and that's so i wish i would have got there sooner i don't really have all that many regrets mm -hmm. very very cool um and so it, can you talk a little bit about because you said you've sold a whole bunch of projects comedy um drama network cable um, can you talk about your development process? I don't know if I have a process because all those projects generally come to me differently. You know, sometimes one of them's coming up, you know, through generals. Some of them have come through um, my own ideas. Um, I think you want to know about the process of 
how I've got to where I am or what I do now. Well, even, even in terms of, of that, like when, when, when uh, something comes to you f uh, through a general, what does that look like? And in, in how do you turn that into the script? That it mm, yeah. Um, you know, I think um, this is, I'm glad you brought this up because this is something, if I was going to hand out a pamphlet to people just arriving in LA trying to be TV writers, one of those trifolds would be about what to do when you're presented with a bake-off, what, what to do when you're presented with a general, and at the end of it they say, do a take on this, you know, because I, <laughs> they don't tell you what to do after that, they don't tell you what that looks like. Um, and so when I hear it, when I, well when I heard it, I also spiraled and did way too much work or inefficient work or work that, you know, wasn't what they were looking for. Um, now, when I hear about a bake-off, um, I think of it as how do how is my personal point of view? Uh, I think about it as how is my personal point of view going to influence the way that the story is sold? Um, I think that there are this is just maybe this is just me, but I worry that unless I'm an EP, unless I'm like a high level, you know, showrunner, writer who gets his name on a billboard, I should be marketing my take on this brand as something that only I can write. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I do a, when, when a Bake Off is presented, most of that work is telling a personal story. Um, and I wouldn't just say I'm passionate about, I don't know, landscapers in Idaho um, because I think they're interesting. I would tell a story about my personal life and how I, inter I don't know how I shoehorn myself into this landscaping scenario, but like how I personally had a landscaper change my life. And um, that half of that work, half of it, I'm telling you half of that work, and I should say 10 page, 10, 10 minutes, is all you need for this kind of bake-off pitch. Half of it is your personal story. Mm. Half of it is setting up who you are, and if you're good at it, tr transitioning from the personal story to the protagonist's story. Mm. That what you're saying is you is actually going to be related to the background of the protagonist. And once you're there, the rest of it is kind of rote. Um, the, in the bake-off, the, the studios and the pods, they generally have an idea of what the show's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be an office comedy. It's gonna be, you know, a small town drama. Um, nothing you say there is really gonna wow them. Or you can't, let's say you can't count on it. You can't count on your story chops being the thing that sells you. Um, but all you can do is just basically play that pretty straight, but it's because it's the first half of it that's gonna hook them. So mm -hmm. that's, that's my advice. Very cool. Well, I think that's a good transition point. We're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we're going to come back to talk about the pilot boot camp that you teach at Script Anatomy. Yeah, fun. AVGearGuy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit AVGearGuy.com for details. DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. 
a fully equipped camera car with height adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit drivingfootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back to talk all about the pilot boot camp that you teach at Script Anatomy. Um, so this is uh, kind of a cross between the televisionary and the pilot lab courses, right? Right, right. It's kind of, it was pitched as, I think, an all-encompassing soup to nuts TV pilot process class where you go from the kernel of the idea all the way to a draft, which hasn't really been done to this degree in script anatomy. And it, but it's always been something that I kind of wanted to have happen and kind of did in some ad hoc ways through several different classes, but never in the same class. Um, so, and it's the first time we've ever done it, so we're still, uh, uh, you know, we don't, I think it'll be successful, we don't know for sure. Um, but the idea is not just taking you through the process from idea to outline to beats, or to beats to outline to script, but I think there's also a lot of um, benefit in being a part of that group. But there's nine students and me, and um, we're gonna be in it for four months. And that's basically a writer's room. You know, that's a full season of a writer's room. And while we're not necessarily collaborating on a single story, there is quite a bit of um, benefit in being around the same group of storytellers for that amount of weeks and, you know, suffering together, uh, pushing each other, helping each other. That's what's really exciting about it because, you know, script anatomies, classes, televisionary is what, six classes and DI is four or five. Um, this is 10. Uh, it's, well, it's, it's more than 10 weeks, it's 10 classes. Um, so, that's cool, you know, uh, and, I, and I think what's great, and I, I'm, glad, I'm glad we pushed for this, is that it's in person, mm. which I don't usually do, to be honest. I like to do online courses, uh, and I've done quite a few of them. Um, but, you know, coming out of COVID, if I could say that, I don't have any wood to knock on, um, it'd be nice to just be in a room with other storytellers together, you know. Uh, this, this industry and this job, can be so isolating at the beginning because you just have your head in your scripts. Um, but I, I don't know about you, but like, you know, 15 minutes on the phone with a friend, another writer friend, or being in a writer's room for a day can produce better and uh, better material than, you know, months of just banging your head on the keyboard. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I've always thought it was really strange, especially as the industry transitioned. 10 years ago, you could write a, a spec episode of an existing show. Now nobody wants to see those. Um, but I always thought it was a, a really tough thing for a beginning writer to write a pilot when they hadn't had the experience of writer's room. Like say, maybe a more experienced writer who's had several years of that collaboration and, and seeing how a story is broken and, and that kind of thing could then go write a pilot and use some of those tools themselves. But to be a beginning writer who, who doesn't know how to do that, I think something like this is, is huge. Yeah, um, I, I hope you're right. I think that there is, there is still something strange about asking a new writer to write a full pilot. It's, it's almost 
setting people up for defeat in a way. Mm. Um, but I think what's, what is really more true is that it's setting readers up for disappointment. Mm -hmm. That like the, the level is gonna be low for a successful pilot. And so you'll be reading something and not think it's great, but it's better than everything else. Mm. Whereas, yes, I kind, I grew, kind of grew up on the tail end of specs where the idea was you're writing a spec of a show and your goal is to write a spec that's better than any of the episodes because you have more time on it you have you know an opportunity to kind of stretch the show a little bit and so i think that's what you got back then is um you know elevated exciting um episodes of the shows that you already love to watch and now pilots are yeah a little bit more oh this doesn't work but i can see that this this writer has good scene work and i can see how they've you know, can increase dramatic tension and they can write to an act break and all that. But it's generally like, oh yeah, this is kind of a mess, but we'll hire him anyway. Um, you know, I think a lot about, you know, as I'm not just a writer myself, but an instructor and trying to, I think a lot about the empathy, uh, empathy factor in all this and the, the, um, the, the way in which writing is so difficult and it's compounded by the fact that you are alone while you do it. Um, and I think that um, as TV writers, it's so important to be with other TV writers. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's just um, a support system that you need in order to succeed in this. And then as a byproduct, you also need to network just to have people who you can hire later, who, who can hire you. Um, without that, it gets really lonely and I can see, I see people burn out really quickly. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but the reason I like teaching online often is that I don't, I get storytellers who are, who are just starting out, who are, I've had students from Australia, I had somebody from the Azores once, you know, people who somehow were born with this instinct in their head to to tell stories in this very particular and peculiar way and then find script anatomy and dial in tw the 12 hour time difference you know over undersea cables to like connect to a community where all of a sudden oh you're just like me you also care about lost and and strange you know uh, IFC shows that only aired once. Um, I like being able to be the conduit for uh, um, a community, but it's um, but it really comes home when those students and I've had several decide that because of the process they're going to make the move. Um, they're going to move to LA, and so this class is kind of. Uh, um, part of that step that, you know, if people have been writing at home, writing during COVID, even if you're in LA and you're just writing in your apartment, coming here and doing another pilot together is, is, um, is not just about writing the pilot, it's about like finding your community. Mm, very cool. And, and in, in this sort of writer's room situation, the, the people in the course are also giving each other notes, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big part of the process. Um, you know, like I said, we haven't done this this class in particular, but it mirrors, if anybody's ever taken a pilot lab at Script Anatomy, 
there is that element here where you're boarding your beats and you're soliciting notes from everyone. You know, with me as essentially a kind of showrunner, um, facilitating things and keeping things focused. Um, but yeah, quite a bit of it is, is, the, um, is, the, is the collaborativeness of it. Um, know, not only knowing your own story, but knowing your fellow students' stories yeah. and helping. Yeah. So, um, so what can a person do to prepare for this course? Like, I, um, coming in, what, what would set them most up for success? Huh. Um, I would say that, uh, I'd say a couple things. I would say that I don't know if this is a good first class. Um, and I don't just mean script anatomy. I mean, if, if, you've, if you've written a pilot before, if maybe you've, you know, you've been to school, I think that that's fine to be, you know, part of some other form of education and TV writing. Good. What I'm, what I'm warning against is that because this is such an in-depth, rigorous class, that I don't know if it's a class for people who are just dipping their toe in. You know, this is a real intense class, with not only in length, but in terms of just the, what it's asking of you. It's not like televisionary where you're going from concept to outline, you know. It's just a short little road. And then you can see at the end of that whether you want to take the big jump and spend, you know, all this uh, resources and mental capacity to write the script. This is a big deal. So I would say that if you are, know what you're getting into if you're signing up for this class. It's a, it's a real, it's, it's a doozy. Um, I would also say that in my experience as an instructor over, I, I can never quite get the years right, five, six years, um, that I very often will have students who are coming to this class, to my class, with an existing idea that they've already written, that they've developed to a large degree, and then they, they realize, or they've been told enough, that they're stuck. There's something wrong with it. And so this is more of a triage, uh, attempt to triage rather than generate new material. And I think that that's fine, but I would say that if you are that student coming into this class to try to do that, that you do your best to forget about everything but the thing that drew you into the idea, that you have to throw away all of it. Your, your attachment to scenes, to the way characters relate to each other, to a world, you can put it in a box, I don't mean burn it, but keep it, keep it off to the side while we try to rebuild something from that additional kernel. Um, I see it all the time that people just want to reach for that box because there's something that attracted them to it. Like there's a, there's a funny joke or there's a good set piece. And that may be fine, but it's, it's going to hinder your growth. Um, it's going to hurt your process. So I, whatever you need to do physically or mentally to put things in a box, I would recommend that for the students coming in. Very cool. And so, so you really can go from idea to draft, or, or do you need an outline at the beginning, or, or what, what is sort of the, um, that part of it? Um, if somebody's not, they don't have a draft, they don't have a script already, um, should they come in with several ideas? or Because or, uh, I know some of the other script anatomy courses, that's sort of a week before the class, and you kind of say, this is what I'm thinking, let's hash it out to make sure I have the best idea when I do approach the course. 
What would you say about that? Yeah, that's kind of the case here. Um, I usually reach out a, a week or two before, before the course to get, I usually ask for three, mm -hmm. um, but I ultimately let them pick. But there's room, there's room to come up with a fresh idea after the first class. Um, there's room to ref highly refine, you know, the theme, the, the characters, the tone of a show after the first or second class. There's, there's quite a few like ditch points uh, before you're committed to a full concept. And I, so I would say that especially you don't have to have you don't have to have much at the beginning of this course in order to start it. Um, I will ask for some ideas at the beginning, but that can just be a world, that can be a character, um, that can be something you're trying to say. And then that's what the tools are for, is building that little thing into a viable TV show. Very, very cool. Well, why don't you tell me about some of the, the success stories you've seen in, obviously this is a new course, but in, in the previous courses you've, you've taught, and um, not just sort of end successes, but successes in terms of breakthroughs in their stories and things like that. Hmm. I have a hard time, my students know this, I have a hard time accepting any kind of responsibility uh, or um, credit for my students' successes. Um, that's me being Catholic and bashful. Uh, but I have seen, I mean, there's the, there's the quantifiable successes, right? There's students I've had that you know, have been in fellowships, um, who've gone on to get repped, to get signed shows. Um, do I have any showrunners? Maybe I have a showrunner in there. Um, you know, there's all that. There's, there's a lot of that success. Um, like I said before, mo many of my students have been online, meaning they are not from Los Angeles. And so I think that there, there are a lot of success stories of people who have just come from discovering what it is in their mind that makes them want to do these stories to committing to it and to finding that community and then getting here, you know, like f dropping their job as an attorney and becoming a PA. That, I mean, that's a, probably a terrible idea, but it's a success for me. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, you know, there've been, have there been anything in development? I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's uh, again, I'm, maybe I'm being humble to a fault, but there's like, I think people like what they do in their courses um, with me. Um, certainly have a lot of friendships. A lot of like my very good friends are former students of mine, um, which is not a success for them, it's more success for me. But, um, you know, I think there's also a, a benefit that people often overlook, which is just that at the end of my course, if you've done the work, you have a finished pilot by the end of it. And it's, it's hopefully a pilot that is, um, you know, told from your point of view, is very close to you, is saying the thing that you wanted it to say. And um, what I like to say is like, your script should be able to light a candle in a room that you're not in. That, that, that script, that thing that you finished in my class should be a good example of your ability as a writer. And whether that thing doesn't bring about you know, financial success or creative opportunities, I guess so be it. But I, you know, I, I want to make sure that the students know that the goal is just to finish. Um, and that is quite an accomplishment. Um, after that, you can worry about how you can feed your family. But, but that's, our course is about just 
supporting each other in order to birth this thing that is the hardest thing that I, I don't know I've ever done. I do it over and over again. Um, so yeah, that's a tremendous success to have to have people finish a script in 10 weeks. That's mm. that's incredible. Yeah, very, very cool. So what what makes a script stand out? You, you've had a lot of students over the years. You, you've done courses several times and in your own writing. What, what is what is the thing that that really makes a script elevated? What makes it like a room, like you say? Hmm. I think what I can say is that what I can talk about what I encourage my students to do and you know that I try to do myself I can't quite say what's what's uh, marketable at any point in time this town this town is fickle as hell you don't really know I think um, what I look for as a hallmark of success is that it is that your characters are active that your characters are flawed that they are the ones driving the story forward in a way that is compelling and full of conflict. Um, I think that there is a tendency because of, I think because of the way that this town pressures writers, especially when starting out to find a, a hook, right? To like, just go wild with your world, make it Game of Thrones, make it, uh, you know, increase the murders by 10, um, do something very genre-y because that'll be the hook. I think that that's secondary to pursuing a story um, that is um, told through an active character's point of view. Um, that's the thing that I often see is missing in a lot of scripts and so the ones that do have that that to me is a is a big indicator of that writer's future success i think that you know in the times that i've been involved in staffing there's a lot of things that you look for in a writer and a lot of things you look for in a writer at certain levels um that uh generally and this is really more opinion than fact but take it for for what it's worth um that a new writer, a staff writer level, story editor writer level, that there are, there are small things that we're looking for in a script that is probably gonna be flawed. Like we said, like the pilots are gonna kind of suck. Mm. But if you can show me that you are sensitive to telling the story from the main character's point of view, that that point of view is interesting, that that point of view is causing a conflict in the scene that's telling me that you have a storytelling knack you know that you may not have all the tools but that starting from there rather than i can create a world of rules for this show and then like we'll populate it with characters that isn't as important to me staffing and it's not as i don't think it's as important to other people who are looking for those new fresh writers mm -hmm. you know they want writers who are telling character driven centric stories and that's really like that's at the that's the foundation of script anatomy that's why i like this you know this pedagogy better than anything else is that it's really pushing you whether you realize it or not to tell the story from the character's point of view um, that the world will come after but making sure that that character is flawed and active um is is at the 
is the cornerstone of script anatomy, and I think that is the thing that most agents, managers, executives are looking for when they're looking for new material. Very, very cool. Um, if you were sort of giving advice to somebody who was just thinking about a career in television writing outside of just write, what do you think is the most important career advice that you would give somebody? I guess I'd give it to people who are already here. So meaning people who have kind of burned their ships and have started off, have started to make choices that have damaged their other options for the future and have really committed to this life. This life. Um, one is that it's something that you hear a lot, which is just you can't count on your writing to be the thing that gets you work. That you you can't just be good on a page, you have to be good in person and with people. And that's not just networking, but also just being a, um, a good listener, a good communicator, um, good collaborator. Uh, and that takes some effort that many writers don't often want to expend. You know, I, when we talked about my life story, there was that big moment where I had, I had written my scripts and then I just thought I could just put them out and that get work. But it wasn't until I realized that that wasn't working that in, in one of my most uncomfortable moments in my life, I actually tried to, you know, asked for help. I, I reached out and tried to find a community. And that's what ultimately brought me, you know, to the next level. That I think that writers coming in to this industry and pursuing this industry, they, they're often coming from another job, another lifestyle where they've spent their nine to five, um, you know, working in whatever their other job is, but meaning not writing. And so when they make the commitment to write, they think that that's what it means. To, I just need the time to write now. And then when I finish writing, it'll be good. Um, and I would say half of your job, that nine to five, half of it should be getting coffee with other writers, other, other people pursuing writing, even other artists. Um, just to not only feel like you're building a community, but there's, there's a loneliness to TV writing and writing in general. And it's, you know, especially in the dark, the dark like staffing times when everyone's getting staffed but you, the best thing you can do is be with other writers and complain. You don't want to be alone. Um, and so I would encourage people starting off to keep up with that. Just start very early finding your community, your peer group. Um, and I mean, that's, that's what this class is all about. The, the other thing I wanted to say about a mistake that writers often make, early writers make, is thinking, <laughs> this is hard to take, but thinking that your writing is gonna pay the bills. Um, I cannot encourage writers enough to get a side hustle and stick with it as long as you can. It is gonna, even after you get your first staff job, the money is great, but then it just goes away. You're working 10 weeks, with you know doing this 14 weeks and then you're done and the worst feelings the worst feelings I've had in my career as a TV writer is resenting it is that feeling that I have to I have the talent now I have the contacts but I just can't afford it anymore and that is like that's so that can be avoided by just making sure that you keep up your barista license that you teach at Script Anatomy, that you have like other skills that you can fall back on. 
not to the point where you're losing all your time for writing, but just so you can sustain yourself. Um, you know, early on when people ask me what to do when, um, when they move here, like how do they get a job in the industry, the first thing I tell them is like, go work in a restaurant, like get a job, because get a job that can, that can pay your bills and sustain you here. Because it's gonna, it may take years. I mean, it may take most of your career to get to a place where you are, your only source of income is TV writing. Um, so really find a way to, to have fallback moments where you can still stay here even if you're not getting the career opportunities that you want, because you are still every day that you're here, you're getting better as a writer. You're yeah, you're progressing in your career. Not all those days are paid, so just a way that you can sustain yourself is is I think the critical piece of advice for people people uh, starting off in TV. And, and I think it's not like it used to be. I I know there's a lot of people who got their first staff gig. The seasons were longer, 20, 22 episodes. Um, and shows went longer than they do now. Um, I think you need to be frugal. Um, frugal. Don't don't go buy that sports car after your first paycheck comes in. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean the you know the residuals aren't as good as they used to be. The orders aren't as good. There, um, yeah, the orders aren't as good. Mini rooms are everywhere. You're getting paid scale. There's just there's there's so many opportunities for you to feel like you're getting screwed in this industry. Um, so just find a way to live in Los Angeles with or without that TV money. That TV money's sweet, but yeah, squirrel away and, and stir a lot of different pots. Very, very cool. Well, we're gonna start to wrap things up here. Um, your Zach Tells Lies on Twitter. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I don't really tweet. Um, mm -hmm. Feel free to DM me. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram as Zach Tells Lies, at Zach Tells Lies as well. Um, if you want to contact me, it's Zach at scriptanatomy.com. That's the best way to get to me. Very cool. And, uh, and it sounds like this course, this pilot boot camp, um, is a really, really excellent course as long as you've got a little bit of writing experience already. Um, and uh, I love the idea that from start to finish, you come out with a fully realized pilot script. Thank you. I do too. Uh, so uh, definitely look up uh, the course at scriptanatomy.com. And, and I would say these courses fill very fast, but they reoccur throughout the year. So, so keep an eye on that calendar at scriptanatomy.com and make sure that you book early if you want to get into this class. But thanks so much, Zach. Uh, this has been a great interview. Appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark tvwriterpodcast.com and scriptmag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, and on YouTube. Make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at tvwriterpodcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.